Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Growing up in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Timmy Paul Lupe came face to face with poverty, hunger, and even war. However, his relationship with God provided him with stability and strength through the hardest of times. In this interview, you'll hear about what life was like in Africa, how Timmy Paul came to America as a student, and how he eventually came to find his role as a passionate evangelist and caretaker for the needy. Here now is Coming to America with Timmy Paul Lupe. Well, welcome, Timmy Paul, to Restitutio. So glad to talk with you today. And I wonder if we could get started by you telling us a little bit about your childhood. Like, what was it like growing up in the Democratic Republic of the Congo? Thank you, Pastor Sean. I am very happy to be here. So growing up in the Congo was a total different animal. You face so much challenges that, for example, you have natural tendency to obey parents because... They provide for you. So uh, I would say food is a big deal. Eating Uh is a big deal. So for most children, they understand their parents. They do their best to raise them. And the society is just so different. We are very dependent on parents, even to the level of being obedient, because (laughs) somehow we know the parents will give us something. So uh, we will be, you know, very obedient and and listen. So it's a lot easier to raise kids there than it is here because the society just makes it like easier for parents to raise the kids because of scarcity and poverty. Hmm. So that's really interesting. So you were more obedient as a child, you think, than our American children? Yes. I I just just had my, uh, my mom's friends called Deborah. She was, she talked to me a lot. She basically saw me growing. So she was saying, what did your mom do to raise you up? Like, what is, is this like a secret weapon or secret, like a big secret she used to raise you up? What, how did she do it? I told her, it's just a society. And basically, when you understand that life is like very challenging for your parents, and they do their best to even like respond to your basic needs like food and, and clothing, you don't give them a hard time. So naturally for me and my two sisters, we just like understood like we, we need to be obedient. And But most importantly, I would say the word of God changed a lot of things because I was raised uh, within Christianity and we were we will read the Bible like my father and mother. They would teach us the Bible. We read, we would repeat and we would memorize <laughs> the verses and this verse, I think, in uh, Ephesians, oh, I, for, I forgot exactly where it is, but where you say, uh, children, obey your parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ephesians so, 6.1. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Enfants, obéissez à vos parents selon les seigneurs, car cela est juste. That is in French. Uh, I memorized that when, since I was a kid. So we, we will understand that God is, is sovereign, and we, we as children, we have to obey him by obeying our parents. We were really mature, really, at a young age. So, yeah. So you would say that your faith was always important to you? Yes. Just as far back as you could remember? Oh, yeah. Did you ever have a conversion experience or a moment where you made a strong decision to follow Jesus, or has just always been there? This is an interesting question, actually. I'm thinking back. So, Though I was, my sisters and I, we found our parents already active in Christianity, being pastors and missionary, but um, we, so we were raised with, you know, the word of God. It was already real since we were kids and growing up, but when I was 13 years old, I experienced God at a very personal level. Mm-hmm. That changed my life completely until today. Oh, tell us about that. <laughs> so uh, I was 13 years old and... The thing that changed everything was what is called the speaking in tongues. And I think in, uh, most Christians have heard of it, and some practice it, others don't. My parents were all, always spoke in tongues. We, my sisters and I, we will hear them speak in tongues. We will not really ask questions. 
we would just understand this is different. We didn't know what it was. And uh, so growing up as we matured in reading the Bible and we started asking questions, what is this language? What is it? So then my father will, like, I remember he started introducing that, oh, this is speaking in tongues. It was in, in, the, in the Bible with the apostles and uh, he spoke in tongues. And so it was awesome. So, and I say, oh, I personally told him that I, I would want that. And then he set up like a like time. We were, you know, going to school, but he set up time. Okay, some days we will, we will read about it, speaking in tongues, and we'll see how it goes. So that was, I think, really good leadership on his behalf. One of the great memories I have of him. He went through the Bible about speaking in tongues, and he prayed. He started speaking in tongues. He said, speak. And we start speaking in tongues. So it was amazing. Mm -hmm. It was an extraordinary thing. I was thinking about this. Where is this language coming from? He didn't touch me. The Bible didn't uh, go inside of me. Uh, (laughs) But tongues came out of me. So that really, like, at a personal level, when I was 13 years old, taught me that is real. And... I can experience that. It's mm. it was just amazing. I can't forget this. So so growing up, you had a Christian upbringing, yeah, and you weren't particularly rebellious because <laughs> you know that wasn't really the culture. And at thirteen, you had a turning point in your life where the faith really became personal to you. Yes. You had an experience with God that changed you. Yeah. And and how old are you now? 27. 27. So that was half a lifetime ago. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you're still remembering it like it oh, was yesterday. Yeah, I can yeah. I can see that in your eyes. Yeah. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about what spirituality is like in the DRC. Like around here, we have so many atheists, especially in the frozen north. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have lots of secular people and what I call post-Catholics, people who maybe have a vague memory of going to church when they were kids, but don't go anymore. And, uh, you know, there are some believers as well in different faiths, especially Christianity, but it's almost like more unusual to be a believer than an unbeliever in our culture, especially among younger people today. But in the DRC, people are, are more spiritual. Would you say that's true? Yes, I'll say that is How true. How would you describe what your average person in Kinshasa, what is their spiritual outlook? Yeah, so I would say um, if the people, like one person in Kinshasa, in the DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo, if they never, never heard of God, they will still believe in something. It's called like animism, probably heard of that. So people there will attribute ancestors coming back to to guide them, something like that. So they will believe in something if it is not Christianity. So there is a lot of uh, spiritism, but you have... I would say 85% of the people of the Congo are Christian. I would not say true practicing (laughs) Christian, but they know of of Jesus Christ and God. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So when you first came here, uh, how old were you? And tell us what what your impression was. What, What stuck out to you upon first arriving here? So I was 25 years old, and uh, I came here in June 2018. Well, it's a, it's a different world, as uh, you know, I, I can go back to a Disney movie that is very familiar to your culture here, Pocahontas, like when he, she went to England. So, uh, so things were more colorful, I would say, because so in, in the Congo, you have the dry season and the, the rainy season. So during the dry season, you have a lot of dust. So here I didn't see that. And oh, it's, uh, this world is colorful. But as far as people are concerned, it was a total different world. Like I could see more kindness, especially in the people of the church community. In school, like I went to Hudson Valley Community College, I could also really feel a different mindset in people. It's, it's really just different. I remember when you first arrived, you talked about the roads. Oh. What, what was it about the roads that got your attention? Yeah, so we, in the Congo, you have a lot more broken infrastructure, so uh, the roads are not nice. We have a very, like, sad political leadership. Unfortunately, you know, the leaders are so corrupted that uh, they, they will just pave and 
fix the roads that they use, that the people in power use. They go to the airport, they go to the, the Congress, and they will have it. So most roads are broken. You When you drive... First, it will just like tear down your your tire, your car. Mm. It will not stay for many years, and you you really like kind of dance. Like you have a lot <laughs> You're of bouncing. You bounce a lot, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you bounce like you move your head because you have so much potholes on the roads. So that was really different to see how big roads are here, like highways, and they a lot bigger here. And yeah, yeah, because <laughs> you came into New York City. And then drove up here to Albany. It's about three hours drive. Oh yeah, and smooth roads the whole way. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, I, I, I was like, I was very, I was very tired, and I was sleeping, and I was with a, a brother Dan, Dan Fitzsimmons, very good guy. I really am thankful that he came and picked me up. And and he brought you to McDonald's. Oh yes, I remember. <laughs> what, that was... what time was it when you went to McDonald's? Like, I think it was like probably. 1 a.m. 1 a.m. Yeah, it was 1 a.m. And was that because you wanted to experience American <laughs> food? I, I wanted something right away. <laughs> I wanted something right away because the, the flight was so long. It yeah. was like, oh, like more than 11 hours. Mm -hmm. And I was tired and hungry. I said, okay, let me take you somewhere. And then we went there. Like the lights, like the lights are a lot, a lot brighter here. Yeah. So, and places was really spacious. And I had food. And so I said, this is, is this chicken? I couldn't see the, the, the feet. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see the... the, the <laughs> I, I, could see, I just saw something, like a blob. Yeah. Uh, and I, I ate it. I said, oh, is this chicken? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it then told me, this is a very famous brand, McDonald's. So <laughs> you are now officially... You have tasted the American culture, literally. Right, right, right. right. And, and yet so many of us are ashamed of our fast food and wouldn't, wouldn't want to necessarily be proud of that. But uh, it is unmistakably American. Um, so tell me about your immigration journey. Uh, how did you come here? Tell us about your visas. And you came to America probably during the most difficult presidency regarding immigration that we've ever had. So how did you get in the country and how have you been able to stay and what, what doors has God opened up for you during this process? Well, good question. This is really a broad thing in my mind. I will try to be specific. Well, start from the beginning. <laughs> okay, uh, so here I had a very, I would say, a blessing from God to be connected with the leaders of this great ministry called Living Hope International Ministries. For many years, my parents and I were actively uh, helping the mission of this church to be developed in Africa, and particularly in the Democratic Republic of Congo and the Republic of Congo. Since I was a teenager, I was helping with translation. I, I liked the English language. I was learning that, and I wanted to be better at that. And uh, every time I had a chance to translates for and interpret for the pastors live, uh, coming from the United States in New York and Latham in particular from this church, Living Hope International Ministries to Kinshasa in the Congo. My parents will translate and I will join them in translation. So uh, I got to know Papa Vince, Reverend Vince Finnegan. That Which I, is my dad. Oh, <laughs> that uh, makes us brother. <laughs> so I, I, we grew with affection with each other. I, I call him Papa Vince. He's a father figure to me. But over the years, we developed a very uh, strong uh, relationship, and he really wanted to do something for me uh, in light of uh, dark time that I faced in my life. In 2008, I already expressed that my interest to to come to the United States, since my, my parents were missionaries, so they, they, they first came here in 1986, they studied uh, theology in a biblical college, so they told me about the United States, and I was curious since I was a child, I was like, hmm, what is this American dream? I would like to experience that, so... Uh, Reverend Vince Finnegan, who uh, I call Papa Vince, he heard that I I was interested in coming here and he said, oh, this can be a venue for me to help you. Since 2008, we've been talking about it and I started being prepared, learning English, trying to ameliorate and uh, improve my English. 
Um, so, but it took so long. It, it took ten like, years. Oh yeah, later, right? Because you came twenty eighteen. Eighteen, yeah. yeah. It, that's that. It took so long, but I didn't know it would take that long. It was in the same time, like believing God, because I I truly believe that God wanted me here. Like God wanted to give me an opportunity to be able to reach out the world. And I think the best way to do that, in my understanding, for my life is to be here and reach out to the world. You came over here on what kind of a visa? Hmm. I was working on a student visa. So I was uh, working on getting a student visa. Okay. So I started uh, doing the, the, in the Congo, I started preparing myself, having the appropriate documentation and sitting for an English test called the TOEFL, mm -hmm. test of English as a foreign language. All international students will have to take that to measure their English with the academic level uh, that is here. So if they would be able to understand mm -hmm. once they are here. So I, I passed that. Went through paperwork. It's a long process. It's really tiring. If you're not, you don't see, you don't keep the eyes on the prize, you can easily just say, I, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. It's so many paperwork, so many years going by because you have the process with the college itself. Then you have the process with the U.S. Embassy. It really takes long. And I faced a terrible situation where everything were ready immigration speaking like all the documentation but the u.s embassy denied uh my visa application in 2015 when i first requested for the student visa to be able to come here and their reason to say insufficient documentation that's all they say they, did you in, have insufficient documentation in my understanding i had everything I, that was required <laughs> so um I, I was beaten up i i was sad and my mom really were a strong figure in my life like really helped me through that time to believe in god i was like is this not the will of god is this god trying to tell me that i shouldn't go to the united states is it i was just questioning myself questioning god like what is this why it didn't work I had everything. So it was really sad time for me personally. I, I was, you know, preparing myself for so many years, building up, like learning English and all that. And then, boom, you're not qualified <laughs> to get the visa. It was difficult. But I rose up. Thanks, God. Uh, I rose up and uh, my mom really encouraged me a lot. She said, in life, you, you have to wake up and try again. It's yeah. uh, it, it doesn't work all the time. <laughs> Things doesn't always work all the time. So, but pray, seek the will of God. If it is His will, it's going to eventually happen. Do what you have to do. So then I I rose up. I say, okay, I need to do something else. Um, but meanwhile, throughout all these years, 2018, 9, 10, 2011, all those time until 2015, I was still involved with Living Hope International Ministries. Still translating anytime we uh they were, we received in the congo missionaries from the united states i was still involved seeing doing that and um i figured okay my english in the congo to you american people uh you still find a lot of flaws with my english and i'm still <laughs> i'm still trying to improve that and yet your vocabulary is better than most of us <laughs> uh, i will take that as a compliment <laughs> i will so for the people of the congo my english was excellent right and uh they some people even say you not a congolese you were british or a new zealander or you an american i say i'm not american. i'm congolese i say your english you just like okay so i could do something with that mm -hmm. i went to a youth leadership uh center called kuvuna foundation there was a man who leads that he really like young people and he wanted to do something for young people in the congo since you have a lot of young people that really don't do anything because of just you know, there is not much to do when it comes about job or like uh, initiatives unless people do that. Yeah. Let me ask, how do most people get food? Because if you're in an urban area, it's not farming. Right. So how do they get how do they get food? Uh, so people have, you know, this way of life to look for for food every day. They will go to sell things. They can. Mm -hmm. uh, what is most popular to young people is. I would say telephonic credit card, which is 
I will need to explain that more here. I know credit card mainly it reconnected with the bank and mm -hmm. and your credit card, but you have some. Oh, here maybe I will say prepaid card for the phone. Yeah, yeah, we have so, that. Ah, good. So you, that is very popular in the Congo. So people, young people mainly, will sell that. They will have like an umbrella and they will have a little. A table and then they have those credit cards. So, so merchandising. Merchandising, that's, yes. People and are selling, selling, and that's how yeah. they get money. Yeah. And what's the money called there? Franc Congolais. That is Congolese franc in okay. French. And then they can use that to buy food. Yes. And, yeah. uh, and that was, was basically your future. Yes, basically. But because of your language skills, you found this other opportunity with this guy and what was that opportunity? Yeah, so sort of training uh, or leadership? Yes, it program? was mentorship program. So because I learned, I knew the English language is not dime a dozen in the Congo. <laughs> um, so it's really put me in a very uh, like fortunate position to do something else. So I could teach uh, English as a uh, an elementary level and intermediate level. So I could have like a, a job to that uh, leadership program institutes called Kuvuna Foundation Youth Leadership Institute. So it was it was good. And there I met this man, Mr. Charles, who became my mentor. I was really had a chance to give what I had to other people, tell in the same time teaching English, but also telling people about God and and helping the young people through, you know, all the challenges we all face, like like for example, being addicted to pornography and all those things. Because God helped me out, me too personally, and I was able to tell uh, young other young people what you know they can do to just be not to be addicted to that. Right. So I was I was very very blessed to be able to use that canal to teach English, but also to mentor young people. And through that time that I was teaching English and mentoring young people, I had this initiative to better my leadership skills in Kenya uh, with this program called YALI, Young African Leaders Initiative. And I applied for that and I was accepted among the first candidate they accepted. So, <laughs> so And really so all of this resulted in improving your chances of being accepted for a visa to come to America. Yes, I would say that was one of the motives, and uh, and it just worked out that yes, at a, personally, I also like, just build up so much, build up a lot of skills, uh, um, so that was useful. And so when you applied again, they accepted you? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> was that pretty so, exciting when that happened? Oh, yes. It uh, And... I think I, I also gained a lot of, uh, throughout that time, also I, I also gained a lot of, I'll say, maturity with God. Like, mm -hmm. I learned to really be dependable and dependent, fully dependent on God. Uh, when I, I asked God, should I go to Kenya to do this program? And, you know, I, I received a favorable answer. And I went there, I was accepted. I went there, it was successful, really important. And I came back. I said, okay, the time has come. I need to do this application again. And I had all these things accomplished. And I went to the U.S. Embassy. And just many things were different. Even the energy, even I felt that this is the good time and it's going to work. Throughout that time, I developed a lot of like strong relationship with another mentor. Uh, this person who became a mentor in my life, uh, Reverend Tom Riley, who is a one of the pastors at Living Hope International Ministries here. Uh, he prayed with me, so he really cared so much that he didn't sleep at midnight because we have six hours of uh, time discrepancy. Right. So he had to stay awake at midnight for me to be to receive a phone call at six a.m. in in the Congo. So that was really something that also like, gave me a lot of like courage because I I involved God with that with the with a prayer I had I prayed with my mom prior like um, a day earlier but just before I go I pray with Reverend Tom and it was it was good and everything was connected I felt like this is the right time and yeah. it's going to work I yeah. went there confident the person at the embassy who was asking questions asked me questions I replied to that I was a little nervous but I started replying to all the questions it went well and he said congratulations your visa application is approved <laughs> In my heart, I say, God, I thank you. I just like, 
I know for <laughs> many people in this country be like, this is no big deal. You apply and you get the visa. For somebody coming in the Congo getting a you a visa to go to the United States mm. is a special thing. Wow. So I was I say, God thank you. I just I was just like I, I, it was overwhelming. Like I yeah. got this visa. In the Congo, <laughs> you have a lot of celebration. The society is so, like, you have so many challenges, even, like, for having food, for going to school, like, for, for transportation, you have to fight to get in a taxi. Like, many people will fight to get in a, in, wow. in a car. So everything's so a struggle. Everything is a struggle. Everything is a struggle. So we have, in the Congo, celebration for, for everything. You <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have celebration for everything. You have celebration for a child when they finish their kindergarten. You celebrate. You have celebration for uh, um, a sixth grade elementary school when they graduate. They get like uh, they call it a certification for elementary school. You have celebration. You have celebration for high school when you get your state diploma uh, after you complete your high school degree. You have celebration for those who have the means to continue to go to college there they celebrate also and then you have celebration for visas if you get a visa to <laughs> a country that you want to go to you celebrate so i per se didn't celebrate like have food and stuff and music at home i just celebrated in praising god with my mother and sisters and friends that we praise god so that was in my milestone and how long was that visa good for so that visa was good for two years because my academic program was was two years. Uh, it's really just depend on mm-hmm. on the academic program. And what happened next as far as your visas? Then that is another story. That is another testimony. I would say that God has shown mercy in my life, and just like He worked with me so mightily that. Challenges after challenges after challenges. Let me get into it. So I arrive here on a, a, f- a student visa. It's called the F1 for those who know the, the immigration world. So I came in the F1, but the problem with that initially, oh, when I got the visa in the Congo, the dates were incorrect from the U.S. Embassy in the Congo. Wow. The dates of the visa. And I didn't know. I I didn't know about immigration world. I was excited. I got a visa. I, I came here in June, but uh, at the airport, the CBP, which is the uh, I think customer and border patrol officer said, oh, you have a problem here. You got a problem here. <laughs> he said, problem number one. He really spoke like that. But you, I don't know if he was joking or he was playing <laughs> to me. <laughs> but he said, I was like, ooh, what is that? And he said, your visa date doesn't match with your there is a certificate of eligibility of a student. So the, the dates must match and it didn't match. And I was like, I didn't know what to say. And he said, ah. So he was working on it. And he asked me a question. He set me aside where other people were released. Like they, 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 they have their stamp yeah. and they go. So and you, me, you, I was couldn't, you couldn't get into the country <laughs> right away. Get into the country. <laughs> You're stuck. I, I was stuck, yeah. Even my friend, uh, Dan, who came to pick me up, he was looking for me outside. He even used the, I don't know how you call that service. Oh, the PA system. Yeah, yeah. He, to look for me, to say, hey, I'm looking for this guy. And I was nowhere to be found because I was still stuck um, at the custom. <laughs> So, and then uh, I was there like for two hours. I arrived probably at uh, nine. Yeah, I arrived at nine p.m. and I was released until like eleven. So I was there all th- this time. <clears throat> the the agent, the, the officer worked, through, he worked, he worked, he worked through that, and then he understand. Okay, he understand that I was not in control of that problem, and he said, okay, I'm going to give you this visa stamp. Uh, so w- once you get the visa at the CBP, uh, the customer, you get a stamp matching that visa. Now that stamp will be your immigration status. Mm. So when you are in the country, it's no longer the visa keeping you in the country, but it's the status, stamp. the wow. stamp. Yeah. So the visa just serve like a like an entry on entry purposes. Like you knock on the door and they, they let you in. So um, so he gave me a B two stamp, which is visitor stamp as if i got a b2 visa as if i got a visitor visa you came in as an f1 student visa but because there was a problem with the paperwork 
it got converted to a B2 visitor visa, yes. which only lasts for how long? So if you're lucky, three months, but mine was just like two months. Oh my goodness. And so you had two months, then you had to go back to Africa. <laughs> yes. All of that, years of nothing. <laughs> preparation, learning the language, yeah. this leadership program, going to Kenya, and now in 60 days, Gone. back to Africa. <laughs> wow. So when that time was about to run out, what, did you, what happened? So, you know, the community here prayed. They were praying with me. And uh, so we really let this case in, in God's hand because like we were powerless facing this giant immigration world it's it, yes, we were powerless. very we were, complicated oh, world yeah so complex papa vince and i we were really walking everywhere going to the uscis which is the united states citizenship and immigration services here in latham mm -hmm. and uh, also at the airport the albany airport we went to look for for help like to the custom and border uh, officers and they say oh we, we can't help you we can't help they were compatisants they they understood it was a sad situation for me and they one of them was really kind and said oh okay this is my card like call me if i can do anything but right now i just don't know what i can do but call me if something comes up and something like that so <clears throat> we didn't get any help <laughs> we didn't get any, any help and there was um did we get a lawyer too we yes yeah we also after we got spoke a with a lawyer at some yes. point yeah yeah um so there was the lawyer actually provided like good guidance and and she said okay at this point you just all you need is just a new visa because you you were already you got a visa first so you just need another visa again to correct that a visa that has a correct date mm -hmm. so all you need is just to to leave the country and she suggested to go to Canada because it's the closest embassy. Mm. So all I needed was a U.S. embassy to have a visa again. So and that is another blow I'm going to tell you. As I am a Congolese citizen, we need a visa to go to Canada. I think for you being an American citizen, you don't need a visa to go to Canada. No. Yeah. So your countries have treaties and I had to apply for a Canadian visa. So I applied. Everything was good. I had friends there. I could arrive and go to the embassy, U.S. embassy in Canada, in Toronto or Ottawa, probably. Right. So the rule is you have to leave the country in order to get a new visa. Yes. If I stayed, I will be in a category of the people who break the law right. and right. you'll be called an illegal uh, immigrant. And uh, right. it will not be... I will not... Uh, just throw my own two cents in here. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Why should America force you to leave the country in order to get a visa to come back to America? You're like a boomerang. You know, they throw you and you come right back. Why, why couldn't you solve the problem here with the American immigration service? Uh, services, yeah. yeah. The only reason why you're looking at Canada is because it's so close. Yes. I mean, from where we live, it's only about four hours drive to get to Canada. Yeah. Also, I should add that in America, generally speaking, Canadians are considered to be friendly people <laughs> and, you know, that they generally want Americans to come there and they may be considered like a, another section of America, you know, like yeah. from our perspective, they wouldn't like us saying that, but like the way we think of it is like, all right, well, you, you keep going north and eventually you get to Canada. It's just mm -hmm. sort of like, you know, you have the city, you have the suburbs, you have the country, and then you just keep going, you get to Canada, you know? <laughs> um, so we have like a very uh, friendly attitude towards Canadians, at least I'll speak for myself. And yet they did not accept you. Yeah. They, they shut you down. They shut me down. <laughs> <laughs> so I applied for the Canadian visa. And I so had, you apply to a Canadian visa so you can go to Canada to get an American visa to come back to where you were. Yes. Everything was like, <laughs> I want to do everything legally. But right, right. But the system yes. is so complicated. So complicated. So I apply for it. And their reason to deny my visa, they say, you don't have enough money. <laughs> Now I'm laughing about it, but it was so like shocking because what it was shocking because I had sponsors, I had sponsors who had like a lot of money and mm -hmm. the money was detailed there. We, the right. sponsors sent a letter. Okay. We got this person covered all the expenses we will have yeah. in Canada for these days. We will be there. It's going to visit and going to do this. 
but they say reply again. That's crazy because you know you have you had a whole organization behind you, yeah, Living Hope, right? But then you also had people that knew you, yeah, that could vouch for you, and in Canada you had people that you could stay with, yes, that could also vouch for you that yeah. you're not a terrorist or you're not somebody that's up to criminal activity, that yeah. you're honest. And the whole reason why you want to go is because you're trying to follow the rules. Yep. You're not going to move to Canada. You're going so you can come back. And still, they rejected you. <laughs> yes. That's unbelievable. Yeah. That was another another blow. I was like, oh, I was devastated. I was like, what is this thing? Is it? I went back to my stage of asking God, am I in the right place? Right. Is it really yeah. this plan that I should come here? What is this happening? Yeah. Why is it not happening? So a, a lot of questions. So... It was difficult. In the same time, people will ask, but why don't you just go back to the Congo and try to get another visa from there? Oh, well. So in that time, <laughs> when I arrived here, then in the Congo, there was a, an election time. And when you have election in the Congo, it's not always peaceful. You have people walking peacefully protesting, but you have the military, which is controlled you know, by the president who was there before i don't want to say names uh <laughs> they will kill people they will shoot mm -hmm. they will take people down so elections in the congo is it's a terrible, terrible time time and the yeah. u.s embassies are closed so i i couldn't go and the the airport itself the airports is closed as well mm -hmm. so i couldn't literally couldn't go back to my own country i couldn't go back so it was a dilemma because my the the B two visa I had the, the 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 visitor visa that I was given was running out, but in January first, twenty nineteen, if I, I I was in the, in the U S, I would have broken the law, would have become right. illegal immigrant. So I had to leave right away, and the, the the Canadian embassy denied my case, and then I what else? So I was praying. I was really like. I was devastating. I, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so it was a very dark time, one of the darkest times of my life. And I am so thankful of, of the Living Hope community and your father in particular and Reverend Tom and all these people pray for me, my, my friends. And oh, it's, it's the prayer could help me go and uh so we went back to the lawyer and this lawyer helped us a lot in albany here um she said okay at this point you need another country <laughs> you, need to, you need to go to another country to get this visa and come back here so i had no idea where to go i was praying and i had this idea now i understood that was god uh forging my path he said go to kenya I had this in my mind, go to Kenya. Say, so, oh, I was in Kenya before and I studied there and I know the country. I, I, I have friends there. I can go there. And the good thing with the Kenyan government, they have this policy of the tourist visa you can get at the airport. Right. You don't need to. 20 bucks in a dream and you're in. Yeah, actually 50 bucks. <laughs> 50 bucks, that's right. <laughs> so you can actually, you can literally. Anybody in the world, you can leave your country without any visa, just book the ticket, go to Kenya, land in Kenya, Nairobi, Nairobi, and yeah. then go to the custom and say, you want a tourist visa and you're going to get it because they promote their tourism. They want tourists to go in their country. So I had to leave before January 1st. So I left in December 29th, 2018, and I arrived there December 31st, 2018. And so, and when I checked the availability for the visa interview, it was booked solid for all those coming days. Like I arrived there and I, I wanted as soon as possible to do that. And it was all booked and like for one week and two weeks, it was like all booked. It was 9, 9 p.m. there and I felt in my heart, go try again. And I went to the website, a spot was available three days after wow so i'm like wow this is not no this is god this gotta be god this is not coincidence this gotta be god i applied i got that spy immediately i i applied and things and so three days after i went for the my interview and so <laughs> i saw that man he asked me a question the first question was why are you here? I can see in the system you have an F1 visa. Why are you requesting for another F1 visa? So I was shocked by that question because I thought they will know, but he didn't know. And I said, oh, uh, actually, so that visa, 
has a problem with the date and it didn't match with the certificate, the certificate of eligibility of a student. And then he checked that and said, oh, okay, uh, I see that you were arrested in the U.S. Uh, tell me about it. So, and I was like, wait, is this like a like a trap <laughs> or and then i said i remember i said oh so at the cbp uh, the custom when i arrived in the u.s when the the officer gave me that to b2 visa i remember he took photos of me the photos that is comparable to the one you take when you're in prison like, oh yeah, yeah those mugshot M- yeah mugshot <laughs> he took that i don't know why and then he asked me you were arrested i said uh no i was not and he said I can see you were like arrested. And then I remember, and I told him that the officer asked me to do that. And I simply obeyed. I, I felt that he was wrong. I felt something like, oh, wait, this is like in a movie when you're a criminal. Mm-hmm. But I didn't fight it back. I just obeyed. Right. He nodded. And then he paused. He said, tell me, tell me everything. What happened in the United States? And I told him the whole story. And he went through paperwork. He said, okay, show me other paperwork from the US, uh, USCIS. And I, I showed everything. And uh, he said, congratulations, your, <laughs> your visa application is approved yeah. uh, for the second time. So how long were you in <laughs> Kenya by that time, it was just three days. Uh-huh. It was just three days. That's why, going back to what I was saying, in my lifetime... So I remember I blinked and you were back. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like... I wasn't even sure if you had left. I mean, you were already already back. Yeah. So you were like a boomerang, you know? Oh, yeah. Went over to Africa. So you had to go to Africa <laughs> to come back to the United States. Yeah. It's... Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's... It's, I will never forget all this. Yeah. I will yeah. never forget all this. So it's, um, I, I came back here, you know, when I, I had to book the, the flights and things. So I think I had one more week. So I came here in January 15, uh, 2019. And then I could now go to school. Finally, I, can, I could go to school. I could explain that. So long as you were on the B2, you couldn't enroll in classes. Exactly. Yeah, because a visitor is not supposed to go to school <laughs> as uh, by the immigration laws. So, yeah, that is, if I look back on that, I'm like, God, you are powerful. You are more powerful than these immigration mm-hmm. institutions because they, they are powerful. Yeah. I'll give them yeah. that. And they the bureaucracy are is real. I mean, it's real hard to get through all the red tape and <laughs> make any progress. Um, so you ended up going to college to study what? So I studied human services. I, I always had this thing in my heart to care for the elderly people. I think that is something from like my cultural background because we in Africa you do care for you do respect and care a lot more for your parents when they are old. You don't send them to a living assisted living home you you take care of them at home as long as they leave and yeah so i wanted to do something like that one of my goals in life to have my own assisted living place so i can care for for this population so i wanted to do that and that took two years or yes two and a half no that took two years two years and you graduated yes and but this presents another problem Graduating from college means your F-1 visa is no longer effective to keep you in this country. Oh, yes. I even forgot about that. <laughs> so yeah. then what happened next? Yeah. How so, are you still here? So, <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> I experienced something, I would say miracles over miracle. And this time it was really smooth. I would say that. I would say it was really, really smooth. Compared Shocking. To, oh, Shockingly yeah. smooth. Shockingly smooth. <laughs> especially under this... Uh, administration i know the immigration side was really really rocky mm-hmm. uh so what did you apply for for this time to be able to work you need a employment authorization or work permit you call right. it so i apply for that so the thing that is really particular for this time we all know about 2020 we have mr covid (laughs) i call him mr covid uh so we have this covid thing that is another reason valuable reason for the uscis united states citizenship and immigration services to deny cases for foreigners 
re- asking for employment authorization in the U.S. It's a valid point. You know, they will, they will say, okay, uh, we don't have enough job for U.S. citizens. Why should we give you a an authorization to work? Mm. So I was expecting that. Uh, so I applied for that. My uh, DSO, who is the director of international students at school, said, okay, you may be waiting for three to five months before they reply to you. There is a serious backlog and it may take forever. And probably, okay, he was positive, but, you know, expect a denial too. They may deny your case. But he is very supportive. It was not negative at all. And if they deny your case? Then you got to go back. You're out. Yeah. yeah you're, done. <laughs> you're done. They will give you the court. They have courtesy of, they give uh, international students a gift of, uh, I think, one or two, I'm forgetting right now, probably two or three months uh, to, to settle to either, your affairs. To either, yeah, settle your affairs, to either uh, visit the US, like, oh, and then you can go back or apply for another immigration right. venue yeah. they, they 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 provide so you have that. a little grace period there yes that's the appropriate word a grace period there so it was three months the problem was if they take long to adjudicate my case and then they deny it then it should be three months waiting and goodbye but if they deny my case before three months then i have some room to think of something else mm-hmm. yeah so it was just not good it could have been like really bad but you know god was there god is there always and you know he just like polished my path and curiously miraculously instead of my uh the time for the uscis to process my case be like three months or five months because of covid backlog it was 29 days that is insane wow 29 days and with a positive result wow send an email your application is approved and i thought i was a scam just from you know <laughs> you couldn't believe it oh, huh? i couldn't believe it because <laughs> when you're in immigration world and other people try to scam you and they will send you stuff and so you can send them money and you have a lot of charlatan there <laughs> i didn't believe it and i waited because i was like I, I need to wait for the official letter from the uscis and he came and i saw that i say wow that is good like just happened 29 days approved unbelievable it's happened so and thank god that's happened and with uh my goal and the way i see i should serve god i was able to get a job at the living hope international ministries as a community outreach coordinator Mm -hmm. as i love working with people and you know it's um it's it's a blessing it's really a blessing to be able to serve God that way. And I can see all the path, all the things that happened in the past just building, build me up for this moment. You know, even going to Hudson Valley, Christianity, I will say clearly that being a Christian is not easy right now, especially in college environment. Yes. You know, I was pointed finger. I was, you know, uh, even I had a teacher saying that I was judgmental. So, so the teacher was teaching and then said, uh, you, I, she was talking to the, asked the students, say, don't be judgmental when, you know, we treat, we deal with people in the human services. Don't be judgmental. Like, like, like him, like you. So oh, you pointed wow. me. I said, wait, me? I said, yeah, like you, Christian, you know? And I said, no, uh, we, we're not judgmental. We follow Jesus Christ and Jesus uh-huh. Christ care for people. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sounds like know. she was judging you. <laughs> I was really <laughs> taken aback uh, yeah i was like wait me but i told her kindly that you know you have christian i i understand you have some christian who are judgmental but you you also have christian who are not so and it's mm-hmm. just not fair to to say that yeah yeah so we hired you on when this Gina, month right yeah yeah just this <laughs> month so i started a few weeks ago <clears throat> few weeks and ago. uh you are you are serving as our community outreach coordinator coordinator yes and this involves both your passion for care of those who are in need yeah which uh what do you call that human services yes. i i tend to call it benevolence ministry but yeah that is too <laughs> whatever you want to call it and then also evangelism outreach but of course neither of these are new new roles you're playing it's just we're allowed to officially hire you and pay you now whereas before (laughs) you had to do it on a volunteer basis i want to ask you a couple questions about that 
as far as your focus on evangelism and what you've learned here. And I want to ask you, first of all, why are you so passionate about evangelism? God put it in my heart. I always like burn. Uh, I have that flame to share the word of God. I mm-hmm. always like think like if I die tomorrow, I want to do something today. So mm-hmm. everywhere in Kenya, in the other Congo, in my Congo, uh, here, I always like when I have a chance to talk to people, especially young people, I will find a way to share about God. Yeah. Yeah. Now here, there's a lot more hostility against Christianity than back home. And so how have you been able to deal with that and navigate that? You can't just go up to somebody and say, I would like to talk to you about God. I mean, you can, you can, but they're like, at least people around here are going to look at you like you've got three eyes and you are trying to, to rob them or something because is considered to be Christianity or whatever religious belief is considered to be a private belief, somebody's personal business, their bedroom, for mm. example. It's almost like you're asking, can I see your bedroom? Can I look under your bed? You don't even know this person, right? So there's this reaction like, whoa, but you've been able to navigate that a little bit. And I think your personality helps. And I wonder if you could explain just a, a briefly what you have found that has has worked as far as connecting with people and being able to talk to them about God in a natural way. Yeah. So back to college, I would say I would have friends and I'll talk to friends and friends will, few friends would tell me, oh, other people don't want to friend me and things like that. So I will think of that, oh, this can be a venue for me to, you know, to do something to bring a remedy for this problem, like help this friend to make friends. And in the same time, I can use this for evangelism. So what I think works is the one-on-one personal relationship with someone, building up friendship and over the time, talk about God, especially also when you feel that they open up to you. Mm -hmm. So that has been very, very successful. Two years ago, actually, I started a group on Facebook Messenger, also a group text for people who don't use Messenger on app on Facebook, and I called the group Friendship and Activities. So uh, I came up with this idea to have different activities during summer, like bike rides and video game one day a month. <laughs> Not a gamer, like, per se. And also just, like, different activities, going to restaurants and hiking, those kind of things people do. I will set that up and, and people are attracted to it. They're very attracted to it. And when they come to activities and I build up friendship with them, <laughs> before you know it, we start talking about God. Mm-hmm. So, and how many people are in that group? Oh, uh, I have now 132 people on Facebook Messenger. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. That's yes. incredible. And... 25 people on a group text. Right, so, right. Those are the cool ones that don't use Facebook. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, so plenty, it, it's insane. I, I'm, I'm, I'm marveled like how it has been working. And, it's and what so you positive. do is you put out information about an activity. Yeah. And then some people maybe will come, some people won't come. Won't come, yes. And I have these, uh, there is this feature, you, you you create a poll, you create polls, and then people can vote like, oh, I can make it, I won't make it. So I wrote that, I write that already, like, I will make it, I can't make it, maybe later, something like that. And people will vote on it, and they will come and show up. And, and I will say like five to ten people regularly uh, meet other believers through me mm-hmm. and come to church and 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 I would say three or four are very serious about God mm-hmm. and they're learning about God. So yeah. that is that is incredible because it's as you were saying before, it is really not possible. Uh, at least maybe it can be a little possible. It's very challenging to just go cold turkey yeah. and talk about God to yeah. someone. I experienced. I tried once. <laughs> I tried once. I was uh, buying some clothing. And there was this girl was really looking at me. And I was like, oh, let I me mean, say hello to this wonderful person. <laughs> I say hello and uh, uh, start talking to her. And uh, I say, would you be interested to visit my church? <laughs> and she said, why not? She gave me her phone number and I, we exchanged contact. But 
She never came. So <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it didn't work. Well, you didn't have the relational credibility. Yeah. The, um, like you were saying, if you have already some trust built with that person, then they know a little bit more about you. But for somebody to just come, especially if they don't have a Christian background, to yeah. come to a church, unless they are a very extroverted, very adventurous person, yeah. Yeah. is very unlikely. But they will lie to you all day long yeah and say oh i'll be there i'll come yeah. <laughs> I'll be there. Yeah. yeah and then they don't come i remember yeah. early on you were so frustrated because so many people at school would be like oh they're coming and you'd be waiting on a sunday morning and like oh there there's all these people are going to be here it's yeah. going to be great and then nobody would come <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that is that is a maybe a cultural difference too in america <laughs> yes uh, yeah. Let me ask you about COVID-19 and how this has affected your evangelism efforts. Uh, has it completely shut you down or what What have you been able to do even with COVID? Well, so uh, as you know, we pray and come ask God for guidance. So certainly is very challenging. It's reduced a lot of activities that I could yes. have done and, and gotten more people involved first just for entertainment and then, you know, gradually uh, having them learning about God. So some outdoor events that I'm doing that is very popular that I kept doing, uh, like we would go to a park, uh, we will join, like you, for example, I will have some friends joining you when you do the frisbee or um, Dis- disc golf. Disc golf, yes. yeah. And uh, so the outdoor activities were, I kept doing that. Uh, we had the indoor, not much. Like, I usually have this game called the Settlers of Catan that people enjoy, but only friends that we see each other on a daily or weekly basis that could come and, you know, wear the mask, of course, and come, but it was not popular. So, of course, so COVID has really, like, reduced my capacity to have people together. So I will think uh, of other ways, uh, especially outdoor activities, Mm -hmm. like, um, and recently, you know, going out with the uh, ice skating that I really see. Yeah, really you popular. just did ice skating. Yeah. And you do, uh, you also do volunteering. Oh, at yes. Food, yeah. Um, yeah, food distribution, distribution places. Actually, that is interesting because you have a lot more people coming there, like hundreds of people mm-hmm. there. So uh, it's even more challenging like to think that you can be safe there or to invite people to go there. But I think because it also has some humanitarian sense to it. So some people who also are like very protective of themselves, they will come to that one you know, because, yeah. you know, they yeah. can help others. But I mean, yeah. the point is over and over, finding something to do yeah. with people that are not Christians or maybe are interested in Christianity a little bit, and then finding a way to mix them in with people who are believers already so that these relationships can start to build so that over time they would be able to come to church and be able to hear the message and it would make a difference in their lives and that they would they would experience God's love yes, you know like yeah. our, our one of our mottos is taste and see that the mm-hmm. lord is good yeah. you know we you want people to taste and see it and yes. how do they taste and see it well by spending time with you and spending time with others who are who have the light of God in them. Yeah. So I think it's very good that you are so tenacious. Many I think have just given up. Yeah. They're like it was already insanely hard to share our faith. And then we had COVID and now it's the winter. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just quit. Yeah. But you're not quitting. Oh no. Yeah, for me it's uh it's really a matter of serving God and in a way that he has made it possible for me. Yeah, just to connect with people. I really noticed that it's it's God's talent that he has given me to connect with people. Yeah. Different yeah. type of people. Yeah. Different type of people. A, a smorgasbord of people, a variety of people, but it's um yeah, it's God working in me. And and so far we have, you know, these uh, like friend of mine who became like my best friends 
coming to God, loving God. And we just met at a gym at school mm-hmm. and uh, told him about whatever, <laughs> what I do. And so <laughs> their friend, that friend likes soccer and we talked about soccer. And with my game day that I have mm-hmm. one day in a month for video game, we play FIFA. So the, the, the international soccer competition. And he loved that. He came to that and we connected. And now he's a believer. Right. He loves God. Yeah, so yeah. it's just amazing how God like empowered me to use that canal mm-hmm. to get people to him. And now I have some indoors activity that seem to work well as people have found peace to wearing a mask that it's helping somehow. You have this um, chess game and checkers. I, I started having that uh, once a week uh, on Thursday. And and <laughs> I was really laughing yesterday, sharing this story to Papa Vince and other people at the fellowship yesterday, at the home fellowship, that even like my fashion style has helped me with evangel- evangelism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so these, I, I believe that you are <laughs> that you are an effective weapon of God <laughs> in this culture because of your unique configuration. You know, being from Africa, uh, your accent, your look. You know, these are all things that combine together to make you effective at what I would say most of all is disarming people because they have their defense up as soon as a stranger comes by or somebody they don't know. And and you are a master of taking the walls down, making people feel comfortable, just your personality. I mean, so much about you that, uh, you know, I believe God is, has and is continuing to use you mightily in this role. So, I, you know, I think it's really exciting to see. I mean, I could go up to the same person and say the same things that you say, and it would have a different effect. <laughs> we have different gifts <laughs> as uh, you extraordinarily preach. I'm like, this man is anointed. So <laughs> I'm happy how uh, God well, We have dis- different roles in the body of the Christ. Body of Christ. Yeah. And it's so it's important for like working together that way. So going back on the story with the fashion, so I know this uh, person at, ch- uh, at school at, when I was studying, uh, and uh, she has two teenagers, and they actually, they like chess. So she c- reconnected with me. I lost contact with her. She reconnected with me um, uh, when I I, meet, I made the president list at, at my college. And she said, oh, congratulations. You made a president list. I said, where did you see that? I said, on the website. She sent me a web, uh, ah. the, the link. And then I checked there. I said, oh. And then she asked me, how, how are you doing? And then we reconnected. And she asked me what I'm, I've been doing. I told her what I'm doing. And then she said, oh, my kids like chess. I'm going to come to that. So, and then, so this Thursday, I'm expecting her to come with her two uh, teenagers and her teenager is going to bring two more friends. Oh, very good. That is a great connection. And before you know it, we'll be talking about God. (laughs) Around that (laughs) chess And it's interesting too, because you're playing chess, but you're playing it at the church. Yes, (laughs) yes. So you... (laughs) You, you kind of sneak them in the door and, uh, you know, they know what you're about. They know what you're about, but you're also not pushing it on them. You no, know, no, no. And yeah. you're not saying, oh, unless you come to my church, I won't be friends with you. No, you're not doing no. anything like that. Yeah. You know, you're just being honest about who you are and constantly inviting people into that. Yes. So yeah. Especially I see an open door, especially when someone uh, open up to me, especially when, you know, we share personal struggles and I will say, just like Peter, you know, money and gold I don't have, but what I have is the word of God. Yeah. Well, talk to me just to close out here about the future a little bit. Uh, how do you see the future developing for you or are you unsure at this point? So uh, I am sure of the work that I'm doing with God, the work of God. That side I am sure, very sh- I am sure with it. Like uh, I know that I, I will be very actively involved with the missions in Africa Whenever I am needed as a translator, I am going there and uh, helping with the ministries there to get bigger and and many people to receive the gospel. So I know that is for sure. And over here, I know that I I am continuing doing this evangelism with with this church here for that I know. For, For the rest, like my personal life, I let go, let God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very good. Anything else you want to share by way of closing you know in life when you have a stronghold which is our god yahweh the father of jesus christ god of abraham isaac and jacob you Mm. are all set for life like like hold on to god 
And for those who are non-believers, unbelievers and those who are looking, I will really say that, you know, no matter where you are in life and your challenges, like God will give you stability. Even in the middle of chaos, you will be with him. You will feel his presence and he will guide you. Mm-hmm. And uh, without God, I will not be the man I am today. Because, you know, just going back a little bit, I didn't share this in my childhood. I faced war in 1999, 2000. I was about six, seven years old. We, the Congo had war against Rwanda. Rwanda actually wanted to... Sorry, my Rwandan friends. So Rwanda actually wanted to invade the Congo and there were conflict there because of natural resources and things. So I saw people killing each other. I saw that. So I I could have been traumatized. I could have been negative. I could have been a child soldier also. I could have been many things, but God really showed me mercy. And uh, despite the famine, I also went like six days, not voluntarily. I fast a lot. Not voluntarily, but I went six days without food because we just didn't have food. And I remember when I was a child doing agriculture with my parents to 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 help them feed me and my right. sisters. Yeah. So and sometimes I will be so excited that I, I will make some money when I I grow plants. I will leave vegetables and I will sell them. And I was like, oh, I want to buy this for myself. And then my parents, you know, would be like, oh, we, we we don't have anything. You know, I don't hold this against them. I understand the situation. Mm-hmm. It's it's about survival. You, I had to do that. So I had to give them what I produced and it was not from a bad heart from them to do that. So from coming from all of this background and all these challenges are like life is meaningless without God and Mm. life is meaningful (laughs) with God. Yeah. Like in the middle of chaos, you will find um, with God, you will find a way. So that's what I will, I will share. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Well, this concludes this interview. I don't want to make too many remarks here at the end, considering the fact that this is already such a long episode, but I will just say that if you want to get in touch with Timmy Paul Lupe, the way to do it is to seek him out on social media. I put links to his Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram in the show notes for this episode. Or if you'd like to email him, you can do that at timmypaul at lhim.org. Timmypaul is spelled T-I-M-Y-P-A-U-L, all one word, at lhim, stands for Living Hope International Ministries, dot O-R-G, and get in touch with him that way. Also, if you like, you can come on to restitutio.org and find episode 383, Coming to America with Timmy Paul Lupe, and leave your comment or question there. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to support Restitutio, you can do that online at restitutio.org. We'll see you next week, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.